Your sound waves look good. Can you see that on your screen? I do. I'm proud of my sound waves. Yeah, nice work. Thanks. Welcome to Soundboard, the Steinway and Sons podcast on artistry and craftsmanship. I'm your producer and host, Ben Finan, editor-in-chief at Steinway and Sons and for the online music magazine, listenmusicculture.com. My guest today is Lauren Sclafani, a piano technician and audio engineer at Steinway and Sons. Sclafani works on the Steinway and Sons Spirio, the world's finest high-resolution player piano, and for the Steinway and Sons record label. Hi, Lauren. How are you? I'm good, Ben. How are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. This is an important day, Lauren, because it is Monday, July 20th, and the New York Steinway factory is once again open for business. I know. It's crazy. It makes me so, so happy that they're back up and running. We are stoked Steinway-wide. Yeah. It's a big deal. Lauren, you are a piano technician. At Steinway and Sons. Yes, I am. Full disclosure, (laughs) I also work at Steinway and Sons. I am head of content slash editor in chief. Tell me what a piano technician is. Sure. So, a piano technician is someone who takes care of all aspects of a piano. We focus on the sonic qualities like tuning and tone, technical preparation, and the regulation, which is maintaining a nice balance of all the mechanical action parts, so it feels comfortable when playing. As a piano tuner, you have to listen to the interaction between two pitches. You're getting a pitch from a source, usually a tuning fork at A440, which is a very common tuning tone. So we take this, bring in a secondary pitch, and then we count the beat speed relations between our source pitch and the string we're tuning. Plainly said, a piano tuner is listening to the interaction between two pitches and making sure they're interacting harmoniously. So these two pitches, that would be one of the two or three strings for a note in relation to... In relation to another note, yeah. The first thing a piano tuner does when they sit down is check the overall tuning from top to bottom, which gives an idea of what's going on and how the action is responding. From there, there's a series of intervals and partials that you're listening for by checking beat speeds between the different notes and how they're interacting. Then I navigate through the piano by comparing intervals. I start with my A, tune down an octave, and then cycle through a series of fourths and fifths until I've covered all my notes in my temperament. I check thirds and sixths along the way to make sure everything's working together, and then move on and continue by octaves, doing various checks along the way. Let's talk about temperament, because that's an immediate hot word for pianists, right? Because we think of the well-tempered clavier, we know about equal temperament, but I'm not sure everyone knows the history of temperament. Maybe take us through the evolution of temperament in the pianoforte. What was it before it was tempered the way it is now? Okay, the temperament has changed a lot since the pianoforte to today. In the Middle Ages, it was taken very seriously and was very important to tune fifths and octaves as pure intervals so that they produced the most agreeable harmonies. 
The keyboard instruments challenged this way of tuning because you cannot have the typical circle of fifths. What you get instead is an imperfect spiral of fifths where the starting do would not agree with the ending do, which introduces a lot of discourse. Then came mean tone, where there were certain wolf tones you had to avoid, and well temperament, where all keys were technically usable, but each had its own characteristic, and certain keys sound more in tune than others. Equal temperament technically detunes all the notes within the 12-tone scale equally, so that no single interval sounds bad and all keys are usable. The development of equal temperament was critical because it offered any keyboard instrument the ability to facilitate harmonic movement freely. And that's what we practice at Steinway. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Unless it's something super avant-garde or way in the past, I would imagine. Yeah. For instance, there was one time where I was at Tanglewood and Peter Serkin came in and asked for a well temperament. So I tuned it that way. Some people prefer historic temperaments because of the characteristics that the tunings have, which are different from equal temperament. So the thing about piano tuning is you're always making some kind of compromise with temperament. I guess some could argue that you don't have the most pure fifth or fourth or most pleasing thirds, but if you can sacrifice those a little bit, you end up with a wider variety of intervals that you can use. Sure. And it makes that dominant seventh sound juicy and smoky. Exactly. There are no forbidden intervals. Gotcha. Even the tritone and the minor second. Okay. I've interrupted your explanation of how you tune a piano. So when we last left our Steinway, you had found A equals 440. And from there, you go in thirds and fourths, tuning other notes to the original A and then to each other. And then you have to tune each string of the note to each other. I've noticed that there are these sponges where you can muffle one of the strings or whatever and felt, and then you tune string one to string three and string three to string two or, or what have you. Is that about right so far? Yeah, sure. So while you're making those pitch changes, you're choosing the pitch of each note. So one string of a trichord is one of the three strings, and you are only tuning one string at a time. So you're muting off those two other strings so that you can listen to that clean single string. And then once you've decided exactly what that pitch should be, and it's accurate and has been set, then you bring in those other two strings to match, and we call that a unison. If you've ever heard an out-of-tune piano, maybe you hear a piano that's in really good tune and then one note starts to slip out, like it's not as clear anymore, it's not as pristine, and there's waivers in the sound. So when you have a solid unison tuning, all three strings agree and there's no variation. When it starts to slip out is when you get that waiver, and we don't want that. So that's why sometimes at intermission... At Carnegie Hall, I'll see a sweaty poor soul run out to the piano yeah. and feverishly work on a on a note. That's likely one of those strings slipping out. Right. Yeah. So for a piano tuner in a concert situation, it's kind of like a sporting event, but a really nerdy one. You've done all you can to prepare and now you're listening. But someone might just wail on the piano and you're sitting there and, you know, trying to remain calm and listening just hoping that everything holds up. When you're looking at beat speeds, is there a tool to help you with that? Or are you sort of just using your ear? 
Yeah, you're using your ear. When I was told to tune, you get the pitch of A440, and then you're comparing it to the octave A and the F below it. And that we memorize as a certain beat speed. And that's seven beats per second. So when someone's learning to tune, you're just constantly like, so I'd be walking down the street, like, can I remember exactly seven beats per second? And then, of course, you could look it up on your phone and get a clock out, and then you're counting the seven beats per second. And then once you start to remember them, you know what certain other intervals should be. I think it's a misconception that piano technicians have perfect pitch, but they do develop a good sense of pitch acuity, I'd say. Would that be perfect relative pitch? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Is there more? Yeah. I think the last thing for piano tuning is putting all the tuning theory into practice, which is developing the hammer technique and setting the tuning pen. You've got to set the pen correctly for the tuning to hold. From the pin block, the string passes over a number of bearing points, which divides the string into different segments and creates points of friction. When the string is played loudly, the hammer blow causes the string to equalize a little, moving sharper or flatter. So you've got to play the note loudly in order to equalize that tension. After that loud blow, the pitch should not have changed. That takes a lot of practice. It's really, really important. And it's just these subtle feelings that you feel from your tuning lever. I mean, the tuning lever is the only thing you have between you and this beast of a piano, and you have to become one with it. You have to identify exactly what's happening so that you can predict the movement because every pin block feels different and every piano is different. So that definitely takes some practice. Is there more to the tuning process or have we, did we cover it? Well, Tuning is pretty complex, but I think we pretty much covered the basics. So that's piano tuning. What's the other half of the piano technician's identity? The tuning comes first, right? Right. The tuning comes first. Then comes the action regulation and the voicing. So the regulation is critical for the touch, the response, and control. So the pianist shouldn't have to think about anything, and they can just play and focus on the music. If the piano is even and responsive, then they can quickly develop a feel. 
If it's regulated unevenly, then they can be playing and trip on a note which is wildly different than all of the other notes around it, and then you're in trouble. Next comes voicing. Voicing is trying to bring out all of the colors in the piano that you wish to hear. So I kind of think of piano voicing as working with an orchestra. The notes blend together to make a beautiful sound, but you're still able to have a melody singing in any section. And that's what balancing the voicing is all about. In my simpleton amateur pianist brain, there's a spectrum for a piano. On one end is rich, and on the other end is bright. Yeah, I think you can go as far to being mellow and bright or creamy and bright. Aha, so that can be done. I think so. I mean, maybe not on every piano, but certainly on a concert instrument. I think it's possible. So is it possible to tell me what you would do to make a sound richer and what you would do to make a piano sound brighter? I mean, there are so many variables. It depends on what kind of piano you're working with. There's an inherent difference between the Hamburg instruments and the New York instruments, and particularly in their hammers. Hamburg uses a high-compression hammer that requires some softening techniques, so needling usually to open the hammer up and let it blossom, and there you'll unearth some of those more mellow tones. But you need to preserve the more huge and edgy sounds. You can go too far and over-needle if you don't know what you're doing, and that's just unfortunately a part of learning. And then for New York, you're working in a little bit of an opposite way because the New York tradition is to use low compression hammer felt that requires hardening as part of the final voicing preparation. There you're building tone and you're adding a lacquer or treatment to harden parts of the hammer where you want to make more brilliant sound. And then you're needling to even out where you want to bring it down. Does that make sense? That's very cool. I like hearing that because it expands the possibility of the palette. And I think the thing to be careful about is, as technicians, we can just say the piano voicing is a manipulation of piano felt, and that's needling and lacquering and just do that. But it's everything from the construction of the piano, from the room and the soundboard and the bridge. You're pressing the key, you're striking the string with a hammer, and the energy from the string is being transferred to the bridge. Then what you're hearing is the air off that soundboard resonating. And in the key key bed, the action sets and it's bedded just so, so that everything's meeting perfectly. And that allows for the greatest transfer of energy. So the soft is softer and the louds are louder. And that's all part of control of your instrument as having everything working together.
so let's back up. How do you learn this set of skills? I understand that you went to school for sound recording and piano pedagogy. Is that correct? Yes, I went to college. <laughs> for, <laughs> I went to college for sound recording. Then there's this place called college. <laughs> and then I went to trade school for piano technology. Okay, so tell me about the skill set and the training that came first at college and then at trade school. So I decided to go to SUNY Fredonia for sound recording technology, which is a Tonemeister program, meaning we studied music and science together. You're studying elements of physics, acoustics, electronics, and calculus, which gives you the foundation of how sound works. But being a music school, you still have to audition and continue practicing your instrument as part of the program. So even though I didn't plan on being a performer, I did enjoy studying it because I do think it's important to understand musicians emotionally. Um, If you're working in a field that deals with sound and music, you need to have an understanding of both sides. You have to be able to put yourself in the musician's shoes. Exactly. And know that flop sweat is that they're having that goes along with your flop sweat of when a note is hanging out of tune. Exactly. So there's some understanding that needs to happen. And if you're going to be in a room together trying to create music, then you should understand each other a little bit. So of course, while you're studying performance practices, you're also studying recording techniques. You listen to professional recordings and try to replicate them with tools that you have available in the studios. And then, of course, you're doing recordings of recitals, concerts, and anything else that comes up in a music school. And this will lead you later to your experience in audio engineering. Yeah, right. After that, you went to trade school. What happened there? So there's a school in Boston called North Bennett Street School, whose mission is to train students for careers in the traditional trade. It was one of the first trade schools with all of the traditional hand trades, so bookbinding, cabinet and furniture making, carpentry and preservation, locksmithing, jewelry making and repair, violin making, and piano technology. So it's this wonderful place where teachers are dedicated to train students who have a desire to work with their hands and achieve meaningful work through that. Is that something you've always been into, like pre-pianos and piano tuning and piano technician? Were you a crafty kid? Were you building things or taking things apart? No, not really. But always having been interested in around pianos, I guess I started paying more attention to how complex the instrument is. And given the opportunity to learn piano tech, just naturally led me to working with my hands. Now I enjoy it immensely. (laughs) With piano tuning, you have a small kit and you can do anything. And it was just a little bit freeing to know that you can actually deliver a skill just using your hands. So back to North Bennett. Yeah, North Bennett. So the piano technology program was one of the only programs where you're not actually creating something with your hands because pianos are really, really complicated to build. So we focused more on maintaining things that have already been crafted. Takes more than one person, I hear. Yeah, Yeah. just a couple people. (laughs) So the way North Bennett Street does it is they split it into two years. And the first year you're learning to tune and do basic repairs so that by the end of that first year, you're well equipped to go out into the field and do home service. 
So you can do tunings and do basic repairs and regulation and all that stuff. That's really all I intended to do, but they offer a second year where in a small group, you have the opportunity to completely rebuild a Steinway piano, or I think there are a couple of other kinds of pianos, like a Mason and Hamlin, but generally Steinway. By going through that exercise, you're completely disassembling the piano. So you're deconstructing and rebuilding, which helps you learn how they were built at the factory. It's really difficult to do this. Those teachers have so much patience because these kids are doing it for the first time and it's really hard. (laughs) It sounds terrifying to me to see like a Steinway disassembled. That sounds panic inducing. Yeah, the teachers there are master rebuilders. I mean, they're all very patient and committed to teaching us the trade. So after that, you became an intern at two of America's greatest festivals, at Aspen and at Tanglewood. Yeah. So I think one of the great things about being at North Bennett Street is that you have the opportunity to go to some big festivals that have a lot of pianos to work on. When you have a little bit of pressure and like 100 pianos in front of you, you've just got to get through it. And that really kicks up your tuning speed because when you're just in a practice room alone... There's no pressure to keep you from going so slow or not being able to move on until something's perfect. But once you have to go through a lot of pianos, eventually you get faster, eventually you get more accurate. And from there, it's just a balancing act of bringing those two things together and getting your skills up. What's your normal tuning time now? Not if you're racing, but if you're just like, okay, I'm going to tune this piano. How long would it take you from start to finish? I still take like an hour to do a full tuning on a piano, assuming that the piano is at pitch. If there is a pitch raise or pitch lower, then it takes longer. So you upped your tuning time, you upped your speed, you learned to be less of a perfectionist when tuning under pressure. What else happened at Aspen and Tanglewood? Because you're working under the chief concert technicians at Tanglewood and Aspen, you have the benefit of closely shadowing their work. So we'd be allowed to sit in on piano selections for guest artists and see that kind of process firsthand. I think the first one at Tanglewood for me was Paul Lewis, and in Aspen it was John O'Connor. I got to listen to their comments about the pianos, and it's just really, really special and informative to witness that moment where the technician presents their work to the pianist. Another cool thing was to see up close how different pianos, all of which happen to be Steinways, are suited for specific concert halls. So your ears are tuning into things that you didn't really hear before. It's a very, very complicated instrument. And the more you understand, the more there is to listen to. Thank you. 
after Aspen and Tanglewood, you did some work at another great festival at Marlboro Festival. Tell me what you learned there. So actually, the Marlboro Festival, my first summer was when I was a junior in college. So still studying sound recording. And I did an internship there where I was working on the tape archiving project. So I was going through all of the old reel-to-reels and transferring them over to digital so they could be stored at the Library of Congress or remastered. That was actually where I got my first introduction to the Steinway Concert Piano and to Steinway Technicians because the room that I was working in was right off the stage and their main concert hall. So I had a little window that showed the stage and all day I'd be, you know, transferring my tapes have my headphones on, looking around, and I'd see the piano technicians just laboring over these pianos. When it came time for the artist to come try the piano in the hall, the techs would come huddle in my booth and eagerly await the feedback. That's when I realized how much work goes into a great sounding piano. At Marlboro, I learned a lot in terms of appreciating really fine piano playing, but also really fine pianos. Being in a somewhat casual setting and hearing Mitsuko playing a Mozart concerto reading in the dining hall, what a special experience to hear and to feel from the piano. It's nothing I had been able to experience before. What a great live learning experience to to be huddled in the booth yeah. with technicians and getting it's like being able to eavesdrop on both sides of the conversation at once, right? Cuz you yeah. you hear you hear the musician's reaction, then you hear the technician's reaction to the musician's reaction, mm-hmm. which gives you all this amazing information about what was done, <laughs> what should have been done, what is yet needed to do. Right. And also getting like the sense of what the energy is like in high pressure situations. But I mean, the technicians were just so dedicated and great at what they do. And I mean, clearly are so passionate about the sound of the piano and supporting the artist's intentions. And that's what drives them to spend those hours of refining. And it's really worth it. You mentioned earlier that, ironically, you now work a lot with technology in your current job. Mm -hmm. So perhaps this is an opportunity (laughs) for you to tell us about the Steinway & Sons Spirio, which, to my understanding is the world's finest high-resolution player piano. (laughs) Perhaps you could tell us a bit about what you do with this instrument and maybe just a, uh, a bit of how it works. Sure. So I joined Steinway as a Spirio intern in the technology department, and I learned all about this new high-resolution player system. Once they learned of my background in recording technology, I started being brought into sessions. So here I was learning about Spirio, and at the same time, the new Steinway Hall on 6th Ave was being built with a new recording studio, and they knew they would soon need an engineer. And there I was. So when my internship was up, we talked about creating a position for me to fulfill both those roles, and I became a full-time employee basically the next day. And after five years, I'm still working as a Spirio technician full-time and audio engineer for the various projects that we do at the hall. So I prep the pianos and engineer the sessions for artists coming in to record for the Spirio catalog and the record label for all of our releases out of New York. 
The music technology team at Steinway is really special because we handle the core development for Spirio here in New York. We've got mechanical and software engineers, a designer, an editing staff, our director of music, as well as piano technicians, all working together to refine the technology to capture and translate a performer's musical expression to data and reproduce it on a Steinway piano. It all adds up to this high-resolution playback, which is really special. With Spirio, you're able to experience artists as if they were playing the piano in the same room as you, feeling all of the vibrations through the floor and in your body. There's just no substitution for that, and it's an experience I hope more people can have. The classic Steinway piano that we love and has so much history is now brought into the 21st century through Spirio. A bit about the technical side for those wondering. We capture performances at high resolution, 1,020 velocity levels for each note. And for the sustain and the shift pedals, we capture 256 increments. The pedals are a critical part of piano playing because it's not just up and down. It's both of those things that makes the pianist's performance uniquely theirs. And without an accurate representation, it would be a completely different musical performance. So we're very proud of being able to capture and replicate such a nuanced action. Lauren, what do you like best about working at Steinway & Sons? I think I'm just the luckiest person to be able to work on Steinways every day and help facilitate such expressive artists create something that so many are moved by. And I work really, really hard to do that, to make sure those feelings can be translated and shared with the world. Steinway as a whole is such a huge operation and such a labor of love for so many people to make each piano and care for them. It's really gratifying to know we're not only continuing, but advancing the legacy of Steinway, which is a good feeling. You've been listening to Soundboard, the Steinway and Sons podcast on artistry and craftsmanship. We heard clips from Steinway artist John O'Connor performing Haydn's Keyboard Sonata No. 47 in B minor from his album Haydn Sonatas on the Steinway & Sons label. Lauren Sclafani, piano technician and engineer. Our intro and outro music is Philip Glass's Mad Rush, performed on a Steinway Model M by me, Ben Finan, editor-in-chief at listenmusicculture.com. Question for the podcast? Message me on Facebook at Soundboard or hit me on the gram at Soundboard Podcast. Thank you for listening.